morning. Um, we'll be looking at 1 John 3, 1 through 3 today. You want to turn in your Bibles to that passage. Um, now, as I look out over this gathering, um, I believe some of you are adopted. And you know, that is a beautiful thing for a child who was a, a natural child of a family to be enfolded in that family and become part of that family with all the rights of that family. Um, and I think a few more of you are adopted than we might think. You know, Keith's adopted. Did you guys know that? Um, that may not be a surprise to some people. Um, <laughs> and and I'm going to go a step further, and I think a vast number, majority of you, are adopted. Now, some of you guys might be scratching your head. What is Greg talking about? Um, so let me explain a little bit. By our nature, apart from Christ, we are enemies of God, and certainly not his natural children. However, from eternity past, God chose to adopt some to be a people for his own possession, a people who will obey him and glorify him. And God accomplished this by redeeming a people for himself through the obedience and sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the work of the, his Holy Spirit to draw us to himself that we have put our faith and our trust in Christ and so have peace with God, and so be his children. So if you're in Christ, you are adopted. Um, and that's a lot of what we're talking about today. Um, as his adopted children, he has given us a new nature and a new identity. And this passage will speak to what that means to us as we seek to live lives as he has called us to as his children. So let's look now at 1 John 3, first three verses, and dig a little deeper into that. Hear the word of God. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it does not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Father, we thank you for calling us to be your children as we consider this great privilege. Father, I pray you'll do your work in us, gives us ears to hear. Um, I pray you'll guide my mouth and help me to speak your word clearly. And I pray you'll give us minds to understand and I give hearts to obey. In Christ's name we pray. Now, we, before we focus on this particular passage, that might look at the letter of John, his first letter, um, and some of the background. First of all, this letter is specifically addressed to Christians. In chapter 5, 
13, John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. This is important to note. When we see you in this passage, we're not talking about everybody, but to Christians. Um, so this is written specifically to Christians, and the promises are for Christians. Now, if you have not put your faith in Christ, um, we'd like you to stay, too. Um, there's a lot here for you as well. Another important theme in First John is the whole issue of sin. And God is calling us through John to be putting aside our sin. Um, and this is some of the purpose of this letter. In chapter 2, verse 1, John states, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. John is concerned that we have a right view of sin and that we do not continue in sin. And so as we look at these verses, it's not so much focused on sin, but it has a lot to do with how we can be free of sin. And that's a lot of where this is going. Um, and this talks about who we are in Christ, doesn't it? And one thing we need to be clear on is what you do comes from who you are. Okay, with that introduction, let's look a little bit at 1 John 3, 1 through 3. And we'll be looking at four main points here, and it might be good in your, for your memory to kind of pair them. The first has to do with, one, God's great love for us, that we could be called his children. And in contrast to that, we see the world's hatred of us as his children. Um, so we see those contrasted. And then the second two parts, parts, it talks about God's working out of our being God's children over time. We are now God's children, but our being God's children will be realized, fully realized when Christ appears. So we are now a new creature in Christ, but there will be significant change from what we are now to Christ's return. And if you're paying attention and looking at your bulletins, you've probably just filled in all the blanks. Um, so first we will see that our being God's children demonstrates God's great love for us. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The Greek word that's translated what kind or how great in some translations occurs only six times in the New Testament, and each time it speaks of something truly exceptional and out of the ordinary. God's love for us is truly exceptional, and we might see this in a couple ways. First of all, God chose to adopt us before he even created the universe. We look at Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3, we read Paul's letter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, 
to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. God chose us before the foundation of the world. This isn't just some last-minute whim, um, but he set his heart on us long ago, and he chose to adopt us as sons and daughters. We're not just his friends, not just his subjects. We're his just to be lowly servants in his house would be a great ser- privilege. But God made us his children. And this wasn't cheap. The second way we see God's, the greatness of God's love for us is that Christ paid a high price for a sinful people. Romans 5, Paul writes of this great gift. Verses 6 and 7 say, For while we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his great love for us by paying a great price to redeem us. The greatness of God's love for us is underscored by the fact that Christ died not for the righteous, but he died for us sinners who deserve his wrath. How often do we show love for a person who has only earned our anger? God's love is great. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. This truth gives us great hope and security in Christ. When God showed his great love for us and adopted us as his children, that was final. And we can be assured that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.6 You sometimes get discouraged in your walk with God and your battle with sin. Know that you have a Father in heaven who loves you deeply and will do his work in you. So we have seen that our being God's children demonstrates God's great love for us. In contrast to God's love for us, we now consider that our being God's children results in the world's hatred of us. This isn't a very popular notion. Um, We like to think, well, the world should love us. But this is what we see in Scripture. Um, John writes, The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Jesus came to the earth. He lived a perfect life. He fulfilled many promises, and he performed many miracles. But the Jews of his day rejected him. John 5, 39 and following says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. The Jews of Jesus' day had the scripture, and they knew the scripture. They had all the evidence they needed to see that Jesus was the Christ. 
but they suppressed that truth in their own righteousness. Then they killed Jesus. And as the world rejected Jesus, we can expect that it will reject us as well. And Jesus was plain about this. He says in John 15, starting in verse 18, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. In this world, we can expect hatred and persecuted directed toward us. This is what Jesus received, and we should expect the same. We sometimes think that if we're just nice, loving Christians, then everyone will like us. And if they don't, we did something wrong. This isn't always the case. The gospel is offensive to those who have set themselves against God. Today, in some parts of the world, Christians are suffering great persecutions of various kinds. Christians are in prison, and some are being killed for their faith. Even in our country, we hear of people who have lost their jobs or lost their businesses because they have taken a stand for a biblical view of marriage. Now, does this mean we're to try to make the enemies of the world? No, of course not. Paul writes, If possible, so far as it depends on you, you live peaceably with all. So, be kind, be friendly. Do what you can to be at peace with all people. But don't be alarmed when you suffer for your allegiance to Christ. Acts chapter 5 tells about a time when the apostles were imprisoned and put on trial before the council. They were strictly instructed to no longer teach in the name of Christ. So what did they say? We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, of course, this was not well received. Some wanted to kill him. Nevertheless, the apostles were released but only after they were beaten. Now, how might you feel after such a thing? That was not a very good day. Um, but what was their response? Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus, that the Christ is Jesus. Um, so I have a few questions to consider. In your efforts to be inoffensive, do you hide the gospel? I find that easy to do. Do you remain silent in the face of evil, reasoning, you can't change anything anyway? Or do you compromise in the little things to please others? We are called to live for Christ steadfastly 
and don't be surprised or alarmed if you experience hardship as a result. When that hardship comes, rejoicing it, rejoice in it, knowing that a greater reward awaits you. So we've seen that our being God's children demonstrates God's great love for us. It results in the world's hatred of us. And thirdly, our being God's children is a reality now. Verse 2 we read, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. Christ has done a great in us. We're in Christ. Although we still fail. If you examine yourself in the light of God's word, you will see that not a day goes by when you don't break God's law. You read in the Shorter Catechism, question 82, the question, is any man able perfectly to keep the commandments of God? The answer, no mere man since the fall is able in this life perfectly to keep the commandments of God, but doth daily break them in thought, word, and deed. As John says, what we will be has not yet appeared. We haven't arrived yet, but even now we are the children of God. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. But you did not receive a spirit of, the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with ours, our spirit, that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We now have the privileges of being the children of God. We aren't just the servants in God's house, but we have been adopted as God's children. We aren't like employees to be let go if things don't work out. We are his children. We are heirs with Christ. And we are now being led by the Spirit. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are free to serve God obediently. We are now children of God. So we've seen that our being God's children demonstrates God's great love for us. It results in the world's hatred of us. Hatred of us is reality now. And fourth, our being God's children will be fully realized when Christ appears. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him. Now, as God's children, we have been granted a measure of victory over sin through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. God has made us new and has given us a desire to please him. Yet, even as God's children, we continue to be plagued by sin, that is, disobedience to God's law. We are often proud. We are often selfish. We yield to our sinful desires. We view things that are harmful to us. We let anger take root at times. Rather than, rest, than resting in God for our security, we look for our own resources. God is working in us, and he's done a great work in us. But we haven't arrived yet. But we finally shall be like him. Our struggle with sin will finally be over. In his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul says, 
we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at that last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. We will finally be made like him, free from sin. When Christ returns, all men will see him, but not all men will see him as he is. But because we will be made like him, we will see him. So seeing Christ as he really is is a privilege only his children will enjoy. This is a great comfort and a cause for hope as we struggle now with sin. As God's children, we will finally be conformed to his image. In Exodus 33, we read about Moses requesting to see God's glory. God's reply in part was, You cannot see my face and live. Even though Moses was a great man of God, with whom the Lord would speak face to face as a man speaks to his friend, Moses could not see God's face. He could not see God as he is. Now God did grant Moses' request in part. The Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand in the rock, and when my glory passes by, I will pass you, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not, shall not be seen. So even Moses, the great man of God, could not see God fully. But we will be changed, so we will be able to see God as he is. All creation anticipates that day. Romans 8, chapter 8, starting in verse 18, we read, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. When man fell into sin, the whole creation was subjected to futility. But when Christ returns, when we are finally made into his likeness, then the whole creation will be set free. It will be a glorious, glorious event where our being God's children is fully realized, and it's a great hope that we have. And by this hope, we overcome sin. Verse 3 of our text says, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. As a person undertakes making changes in his life, he needs to have some confidence he'll be hope successful. When a man goes to a counselor for help, one of the tasks of that counselor is to give that person hope. But where does that hope come from? Does it come from having a good self-esteem? You can do it. 
John tells us in this passage where our hope should be placed. Our hope should not be in ourselves. It is not to come from having a good self-esteem. If we see ourselves clearly, we will see the helpless, hopelessness of depending on ourselves. And our hope must not come from others, ultimately. People will fail us. Rather, our hope must rest on Christ alone, as John tells us in verse 3. Our hope is a confident, confident expectation that we will be made like Christ. And having been made like Christ, we shall see him just as he is. This hope enables and it drives us to put aside sin. We look at the verses immediately following what we've been reading and looking at. I'm sorry, in verse 4 we read, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared to us was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep sinning, because he has been born of God. One thing we see in these verses is sin is serious business, isn't it? Sin is serious. Um, now, these verses teach us that Christians never sin. Um, it, it almost sounds like it, but we need to look at all, what else John has to say in the same letter. Um, chapter 1, verse 8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So these verses do not mean that the child of God never sins, but as children of God, we don't persist in sin. We don't continue in it. Rather, with God's help, we continually put aside our sin and turn away from it. Continuing in sin is not compatible with being a child of God. So, how do we become a child of God? Um, by not sinning and by doing good things? Um, where, where, how do those work together? Well, let me, um, this is a bit of a silly illustration, but hopefully it will drive the point home. Let's say we have a chicken but really, we would rather have a duck. Um, now, how do we get a duck from a chicken? Well, we take it to duck training school, right? They'll teach them to waddle and quack. How, how's that going to work out? I mean, maybe you can get a chicken to waddle. I don't know. But quack? No way. Um, the chicken doesn't even want to be a duck. And it couldn't act like one no matter how hard it tries. It will still be a chicken, and that chicken can never be a duck on its own. It would have to be completely transformed into a duck. Um, it would take a miracle. 
Only then would it be able to act like a duck. Um, basically, the duck is going to do what it is. It's going to waddle and quack. The chicken is going to cluck because it is a chicken. Well, in the same way, apart from Christ, apart from being adopted as his children, we cannot do what will please him. We cannot walk obediently to him. Because we will do what we are. This is God's work. It is his work to remove the heart of stone and gives us heart of flesh. He gives us new life and makes us a new creation so that we can replace, so we can please him. Well, the illustration, of course, falls short. There's nothing wrong with it. But we are objects of God's wrath by nature. We have sinned and deserve God's punishment. We need to seek him and be his child. Um, put your trust only in him that you may have fellowship with him and be his child. And if you are God's child, set your eyes on Christ's return and are being made into his likeness. Don't let a day go by without praising and thanking God for adopting you as his child. Finally, as God's child, put your hope in Christ and then let that hope enable you to do what you are as God's child. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the greatness of your love in making us your children. We thank you for the work that you have done in us. And Lord, I thank you for how you have promised to complete that work in us on the day of Christ's return and make us holy like you that we may see you. Lord, I pray you'll help us to be steadfast in obedience to you, even when the world stands against us in our service to you. Lord, help us to be ready to suffer for you. Lord, I thank you for your love for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.